Welcome, conversations that highlight fascinating ways people are impacting the lives of those who are vulnerable. Impact Conversations with Don Mansky. This Impact Conversation is brought to you by Made for Freedom, the social enterprise with products made by survivors of human trafficking and marginalization. Made for Freedom is fighting human trafficking with style. Welcome to Impact Conversations. Over the past several years, I've met some amazing people doing fascinating things to help empower marginalized populations, alleviate poverty, prevent human trafficking, and come alongside some of the most vulnerable people in our world. I'm Don Mansky, and our conversation today is with Ked Frank. He's the founder of Refuge for Women, and today he's going to share about the impact this organization has on women who have escaped human trafficking or sexual exploitation. Ked and his wife, Michelle, have been married for 21 years and reside in Nicholasville, Kentucky with their two children. They've been fostering for two years and are preparing to adopt a two and a half year old. One of Ked's major strengths has been bringing together faith and intellect to build a program that is solid on both fronts. Ked, welcome. Thank you, Don. Thanks for the, the introduction as well, too. It's good to be with you today. Oh, so good to have you. We've, we've known each other for a few years, yeah. not real well, but met a few years ago and just was so excited that you were able to spend some time with us today and really just want to help people understand what Refuge for Women is doing. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. No worries. So tell us, tell us about yourself and how Refuge for Women came about. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you said in your introduction, uh, you know, I've got wonderful family and with the coronavirus going on, uh, we have a lot of time together actually in the house now uh, with uh, my wife working in part of the house. I'm working in part of the house and we've got three kids also in the house as well, too. And so, so lot, lots of family time going on right now, but uh, just making adjustments like everybody. And, and uh, we're, we're very blessed. And we, uh, we've been in Kentucky here for now over 20 years, which is hard to believe. Uh, I'm originally from Indiana and my wife is from Columbus, Ohio. We moved down here to go to uh, Asbury Seminary, and and uh, you know, and, uh, eleven years ago, we we started this outreach, you know, for women to be able to have a safe place to go, and and uh, and so, you know, I was working as a pastor at a church here, and and uh, we learned about an outreach going on to some of the different clubs here in Lexington, and and uh, they started talking about wanting a next step, you know, for women who wanted to get out and needed a safe place to go, and you noticed. Know, series of events, God events, for sure, came together and we were convinced that I was to step out of the church and, and uh, get this nonprofit going to be able to house women. And, and so uh, it's, it was, it's been quite a journey for the last 11 years and we've made a lot of mistakes. We've done a few things right and, and it's, it's been pretty awesome to watch it. Nice, nice. And so it's 11 years? Yeah, we started in 2009. We actually opened up on our our first house in uh, uh, in 2010. So we needed to, get, you know, get our board in place and and renovate a farmhouse as well too. And uh, and so it was uh, an 85 year old farmhouse that we started yes. with. That was the very first refuge for women. And, That's uh, awesome. <laughs> and so uh, we renovated it, and that really turned out well. And and, uh, and that, that got things that got things started for us. Nice. That I did not know about the farmhouse piece. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. So what, what do you think makes Refuge for Women unique from other programs that are working with survivors of human trafficking? Yeah. 
you know, honestly, honestly, Don, when we started, we weren't even using the language of, uh, of human trafficking um, 11 years ago. You know, we started out, we thought women would be coming from the strip clubs and, and uh, you know, mostly from the outreach that was, that was occurring uh, from the, the group here in Lexington. And uh, as we got into it, you know, our first individual that came to us was from Miami, Florida. Our second one was from Detroit, Michigan. Our third one's from Lexington. And then we filled the house with, with different people. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, it was only probably, you know, five or six years ago that we just, people were using the language of human trafficking a whole lot more and, and, uh, becoming more familiar with that terminology. When we first started, I mean, it, there just wasn't a lot of conversations that were happening around human trafficking and, um, you know, and then the reality is, is, uh, the majority of the women that we've been working with, they, they were being controlled. Uh, they were, you know, they did start selling themselves when they were, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old and started working in the clubs when they were 16, 17 years old. And, and so the majority of them did fit the definition of the uh, trafficked individuals, you know, the force fraud and coercion that's typically used with the trafficking language. Um, and then anybody under the age of 18 is automatically a, a human trafficking survivor if they right. exchange sexual services for goods. And, and so we started using that language a whole lot more, but you know, for us, when we, um, when we got going, you know, people were sending us people from around the country and uh, one person who was in up in Chicago and they were, they were actually uh, doing outreach on that back page. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and so they were calling different ads that were being ran. And, um, and so they started making connections. They were sending us people from Chicago to, to come down here to Kentucky. And, but they just said, you know, some of the people that they're working with, they're not actually able to leave the state of Illinois or because of kids that are not interested in traveling that far. And what would we think about the idea of helping them get something going up in the Chicago mm-hmm. area? And, and literally, so we, you know, we, we discussed it and decided to let's give it a try and let's see how it goes. And within six months of doing that, we got another phone call from a group in uh, Las Vegas that said, you know, Hey, we're doing outreach here in Las Vegas. And I don't know if you'd ever consider opening up another home, but would you, consider opening up a home in Las Vegas. And so we, we began, we began that conversation. And, and, uh, and what you asked was, do you have a farmhouse? We exactly. <laughs> we, we only want one that's 85 years old. It's, it can't be younger. It can't be younger than 85. 85 or older that's right. and, and, and a farmhouse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is I, I tell people this, Don, that, you know, again, our first home, it, it's on 53 acres. It's, it's out in rural. It's safe. I mean, we, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty remote. So we started thinking, you know, hey, this is for refuge for women. We really want to use this model of a safe place. And but every now, you know, now we got seven locations, and it's like none of them are the same, you know. And so Las Vegas is in the middle of a gated community that somebody has allowed us to use a home for four years now out there. And uh, the one in Chicago is directly across the street from a police department, and it's an old domestic violence shelter. And and so. The different places that God has given us have always, they've got their unique flares, you know, but, you know, for us, having, having multiple locations and multiple homes now, you know, we have a home outside of Pittsburgh, we've got one in Chicago, Kentucky, Las Vegas, um, uh, Dallas, Texas, and then we're opening three more this year, um, San Diego, Houston, and an emergency home here in Kentucky. What it allows us to do is to relocate people. And so, again, if you're from an area uh, and and again, you're, you've got somebody who is actively you know, meaning to do harm to you. 
we, we can make you um, kind of disappear, go nice. off the grid and get you a thousand miles away. And we tell these residents, you know, they're in anybody going to find you uh, in the different locations that we can put you. And so it gives us this unique model to move people around. Not, not everybody needs to move. Not everybody can move. Um, and so, you know, we can keep people local. So if you're from Chicago and you need to stay in the Chicago area, we can keep you local. But, you know, there's something about if you're willing to go to another location, you don't know anybody, nobody knows you, you can start over, you can start fresh, begin a whole new life. We've just found there's a lot of advantages to that. And so to date, we've, we've actually served women from uh, 25 states so wow. far in the 11 years that we've, we've been going. And, and so anyway, that kind of gives us a unique uh, ability that um, I think that has kind of, you know, made people kind of pay attention to the work that we're doing and the way that we're able to do that. Right. That's incredible. That's really, you know, just that the, the possibility of staying or disappearing. Yeah. Like that's, that's really cool just to protect women. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, and it's long-term as well too, Don. That's another thing I'd say too, is that, you know, again, for many of the women that we serve, I mean, as you know, with human trafficking, um, if this has been going, if they're, say they're 30 years old and they started when they were 15 or 16 years old, you know, working in the industry, um, there's a lot of basic things that, you know, people who have a 15 or 16 year old, you know, they know that there's still a lot of life lessons they need to learn yet, a lot that's going on. And so if, if they've been, you know, having sex for 14 years for, and that's how they're keeping their head above water and surviving and, mm-hmm. you know, having the ability for them to stay with us for um, up to a year, potentially even up to a second year, it gives us a, a chance to work with them to really, you know, relearn a lot of basic things that maybe just didn't get taught because of the, all the trauma that they've been through and just the, the, the unfortunate circumstances that they found themselves in and stuff. So, so there's no cost. It's long-term and we can relocate you. So I think that's just something unique that, that we've been able to do now for quite a while. That I love that. I love the, the possibilities there. That's cool. And so explain a little bit more about, you said that you're starting a new home. Yeah. That is a, an emergency home. Yeah, exactly. What's, what does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, here, here in Kentucky, you know, we've been talking to law enforcement for several years now where, you know, our, our long-term program there, you know, there's a, some, there's, um, you know, some interviews that take place. There's an application process. There's um, a relocating. So again, if you're in the middle of Missouri or you're in the middle of California and the, o- the only open bed that we have is in Chicago, then, you know, to get you there, it, it's typically about a five to 10 day process from the time that you apply to the time that you actually um, get to that location to claim that bed. And, um, and so for law enforcement, if they do a sting operation and they find, you know, two, three, four different people who, you know, have been being controlled and are wanting to get help for law enforcement to have them for five or 10 days while they're waiting on a bed to open up is extremely difficult. And sometimes and, uh, dangerous. For and them. dangerous. And a lot of times they just end up taking them to jail. Just right. because it's, a lot of times it's the most safe place for them to go. And then sometimes they'll keep them for a day or two and they end up getting released. And they go right back to where they were at because that's where they know. And that's where they're, you know, um, at least a place that they can uh, get off the streets. And so law enforcement's been saying to us for a while now here in Kentucky, they, they really need a place that they can, they can find somebody and within a couple of hours uh, they can bring them to. That, that's specifically geared towards trafficking population. 
not just a drug and alcohol treatment or not just a homeless shelter, but you know, people that are, that are trained in, in working with uh, survivors. And so um, we've been talking about it and we, you know, talk with other groups, you know, going, Hey, you ought to do this, you know, this would be great. And they're going, why don't you do it? You'd be great at, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so my uh, best friend who we've been on their property for, uh, for the last 11 years, last year came to me and said, you know, Hey, we're, we're, uh, we just bought another farm. We're going to be selling this property. And they bought a, instead of 53 acres, they bought 500 acres. And, oh uh, and so I'm like, wow, that's great. You know, of course I'm thinking, okay, you're going to sell this property. Okay. Exactly. What are we going to be doing? You know? Right. And so I'm not sure the owners are going to want us on this property. And, and so they said, we want you to, we want you to buy it. And so, so they, we worked out a price that, and, uh, and last December we were able to give them the final installment. And, uh, and so now we own 53 acres here. And so their, their home is between a six and 7,000 square foot home. It's, it's beautiful. And so we've, deter- we've decided that we're going to have a long-term home and an emergency home on the same property. Nice. And, um, and so this emergency home, it's, it's going to be 16 beds and it's going to be specifically geared for emergency situations. And, and uh, they can come in for 30 to 90 days at a time. And then some of the women, they may say, we want to go into the long-term program and they can mm-hmm. enter the long-term program. Too. Some of them may come in for three days and say, I don't, I don't want to be here. And they leave and that's, that's fine as well too, you know, but, um, so it's going to be Kentucky's very first trafficked and exploited emergency home. Wow. And, um, and so we're opening up in about uh, six weeks, we'll have the, the doors opened up and, uh, and we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, you know, so our first, this is our first try with this. And so, uh, we'll learn a lot and we'll get better. And then, uh, you know, we're hoping this is something we'll be able to replicate maybe at the other locations as well too, after we get the bugs worked out of it and get right. into a good, get into a good rhythm with it. So yeah, we're right. excited. We're excited about it. That is awesome. Well, congrats on being yeah. so close. That's, Thank you. And that I think is one of the biggest needs with this community is an emergency placement. How do we, if we find somebody, how do we get them a bed tonight? Yeah. yeah. And having those facilities available would be incredible. It is hard, Don, because I mean, let's just say there's a church who we've had multiple phone calls from churches and they have somebody who comes into the prayer room on a Sunday morning and they're saying they're being trafficked. Well, it's, it's 11 a.m. and you have some good hearted volunteers who are back there praying with people and all of a sudden they're just going, what in the world? You know, I, I'm in over my head right now and right. I don't want this person to leave our church grounds for fear that they're going to go back to dangerous places but at the same time what do we do right and, and do we take them to a homeless shelter do we get them a hotel room for tonight I mean like what do we do and so we're hoping this is going to be a resource that churches and and uh, outreach groups and law enforcement they'll have a resource that they can you know they can call and, and we'll come pick them up and we'll we'll take them into our emergency home and like I said you know kind of do some case management decide what are their needs and what are they looking for and and then kind of from there to determine what are going to be the best resources moving forward. But, but we're excited about it. We think it's going to be a great, uh, a great resource for our community. Right. Well, so if, as you're working with this population and you encounter people and you're trying to raise awareness and you're trying to help women coming out of these situations, what, what is something that you would like people to know most? What is something that you feel people just don't quite get about the situation, about exploitation um, that you 
that you would like for more people to understand? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I tell, um, whenever I have a chance to speak to, to men's groups, um, one of the things that I help educate them about is that, you know, again, as, as men, you know, it, the, the demand, the demand is why there's even a problem like this. And so, I, again, you know, all, all men have contributed in some capacity, you know, unfortunately to this. And, and, uh, and as men, I mean, obviously we have a, an ability to, to really uh, put, put a stop, put a stop to these kind of services. And, and so I help them understand that, you know, hey, the, the women that are on the screen, whether it be in pornography, let me tell you a little bit about who these women really are. And again, they're, they're under the influence of something. They, they don't want to be doing what they're doing. Um, it's not a big party. I tell them about strip clubs as well, too, the women that are up there on the stage. It's not the fantasy that sometimes, you know, we're led to believe. It's not just, you know, a young girl who's working her way through law school and this is a wonderful, you know, job that, you know, again, she's going to be a lawyer. Or some No, this is, a, this is a woman who has got a horrific background, who is probably a single mom, who has been traumatized through a lot of different things. And right. she hates every minute that she's up there on stage, you know? And, and so I, I think whenever I have a chance to, to talk to people, I always tell them, man, these women are real, they're real people. Mm. They're real, they're real people. They have real, they have real names. They, they are somebody's daughter. They're somebody's sister. They've been through just some of the most horrific things that you can imagine. I mean, the majority of the women that we served are all victims of childhood sexual abuse. Right. They've, they've experienced rape. A lot of times, not just once, not just twice, multiple times. Um, and their childhood was robbed from them, unfortunately. And so, so you know, again, I, I would just encourage people, if you're ever, you know, if this is something that's near and dear to your heart, um, you know, again, continuing to pray for the, the organizations that are working with them, recognizing that the rescue, getting them out of dangerous Situations is obviously a wonderful step, but it is the first step. There is a long process of healing that it, if they're not going to go back to what's familiar and go back to really all that they know, there's going to be a long process of healing that's going to have to take place for them because they've just been through some really difficult things and a lot of therapy, a lot of just the power of God helping them to heal and to basically just dream again, dream again about what life can look like around safe people and doing the things in life that they would rather be doing versus maybe what they feel like they've been forced to do all their life. And, and um, so it, it's a process, but Hey, we, we serve a God that's a miracle worker. And, uh, and again, we, uh, we know that, um, that he's, he's, uh, he, he loves each and every one of these women more than we do. And he, and again, it's, uh, it's a time of the year, you know, to, to talk about, you know, just the miracles that can happen in people's lives. Uh, mm. And, uh, and so anyways, it's, uh, it's a great, it's a calling and it's, uh, it's an amazing work, you know, to get to serve these women. And so if you, if you live near an outreach or you live near a home that's serving the women, I just encourage you to get involved in some capacity right. and to meet the women and to, to learn their, 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 um, you know, stories or just their dreams for the future and pray for them. And you'll, you'll be blessed if you do. And get to know them as people. Exactly. Not, not just for their history. Exactly. Just for what they've been through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ked, thank you so much. Um, I so appreciate what, what you guys are doing. I love the fact that you continue to grow. Uh, you, you have more, 
more places on the map than last time we chatted, I think. Mm -hmm. And yeah, thank you. I'm excited for you guys. So, yeah, but thank I, you for what you do. And thanks for sharing your time and your yeah. thoughts and your heart. Yeah, for, thank you. For this. So, thank you, Don. And I, and I wanted to say real fast as we close, you know, again, if, if this is something that people want to learn more about, then, you know, we actually, uh, you know, have started a social enterprise, you know, called Survivor Made. And, and that we are putting together Mother's Day baskets that are being assembled by the, the actual residents in our program. And so, again, if, uh, if you want to support that in some capacity, survivormade.org, and you can find a, a Mother's Day basket that will send to a special woman in your life. And that'll be uh, something that'll be very meaningful to her and know that uh, people are uh, pursuing some new opportunities as a result of you purchasing that. So it's something uh, if, if people want to support in some capacity. Nice. So what's in a Mother's Day basket? Yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, things that I think a lot of people will be excited about. There's a uh, some can <laughs> there's candles in there. There's chocolate in there. There's uh, some tea. There's a, a journal. There's a pen, and there is uh, um, let's see, that might be it. Journal, pen, tea, chocolate, and candles. Nice. So it's yeah, it's a loaded box. It's uh, nice. lots of lots of good things in in the box there and stuff. So yeah, you can find that on SurvivorMade.org. Cool. That's awesome. And that yeah. I love that you're incorporating the social enterprise element as well. That's, awesome. that's, that's brand new. We just, we just started this Don. So this is a, a new, new way to, to, to have a residence, be able to generate some revenue and be able to be a part of making something that is beautiful and that they can feel a lot of pride in. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you again for being here. And um, if you want more information about upcoming impact conversations or have a suggestion for a future guest. You can subscribe, follow, and nominate by clicking the link below. You can also find a link for Refuge of Women and these Mother's Day boxes. Thank you for joining us and keep looking for ways to positively impact our world. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for another Impact Conversation.